News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. We've heard complaints about this for years, and that is if you're a renter or if you are a landlord and you have a dispute with each other, trying to get that settled is incredibly challenging. There is a huge backlog of cases that need to be dealt with. So there was a big announcement yesterday where the Ministry of Housing announced up to $15.6 million over three years, specifically for the residential tenancy branch. Let's find out what that money is going to do. Joining us now is Ravi Kalon, BC's Housing Minister. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Shimmy. Thank you for having me. So what is that money going to do? Well, it's, uh, it's going to uh, two particular initiatives. One, uh, you know, we were piloting a, uh, a, a new unit that essentially goes out and helps address issues early on before they, they blow up and uh, can't get to the point of being fixed anymore. Uh, and second, hiring more staff because we've seen a 22% increase in calls coming through uh, to the RTB since this beginning of the pandemic. And so it's to go to hire more staff so we can uh, get the decisions made in a more timely way and also to uh, have a unit that goes out proactively and tries to deal with situations before they get to a point where um, they need an arbitrator. Right. So how the hiring of the new staff so that that can, you can get more processed, how soon will that happen? Uh, well, the postings will be up within a week, uh, so we're starting to hire. But the one big shift we're making is that it's not going to be isolated just to Vancouver and to Victoria, which is traditionally what happens with a lot of government jobs. Uh, we will be making this uh, as a remote working opportunity. So if you've got a, the right skill set and you live in a town in Clearwater or in Terrace, uh, you can apply. Uh, we know it's a tight labor market, and uh, we want to find the right talent uh, and no matter where they live in British Columbia. Oh, that's interesting. Will there be a priority for the backlog of cases that need to be dealt with? Yeah, so when the unit, uh, this new uh, enforcement unit uh, scales up, and I suspect that'll be the first things that we scale up, uh, they're going to be able to do a couple things. One, they're going to be able to uh, actually go out, uh, proactively and address uh, it, the situations earlier, but they're also going to do a scan. If they identify an issue as uh, a priority needs to be addressed right away, those issues will be taken first. And of course, the goal is to ensure that the backlog gets addressed because we know with the surge of cases that we've seen over the last couple of years, uh, the time is taking a little bit longer than we want. And so, uh, you know, I think this is good news for, for renters and landlords because I hear complaints from both and I've only been in the job for three weeks. Yeah, I can imagine. I hear that too when the, whenever we talk about this. So what are your targets then for getting some of this backlog cleared? Uh, well, it depends on how fast we can get the people hired on. I mean, the, the hard part was the, the money, uh, and now the next hard part is getting the, the, the skilled people. But the postings will be up. Uh, my goal will be uh, to ensure the team can get everything hired up and, and get the backlog done over this coming year. Um, and so gradually reducing the time as we go forward. But it all depends on uh, whether we continue to see uh, the high level of calls uh, and also depends on how fast we can get these people um, uh, on the team and then working. Is, there, is enforcement an issue here, do you think, as well, in terms of the decisions that are already made? I know there's some frustration around that. Like, Do you foresee any changes when it comes to the regulations or is this just an issue of getting these disputes processed? Well, there, there's issues everywhere. I mean, I hear from tenants, uh, you know, it's just a tight labor market and sometimes they 
uh, have a, a landlord that's not doing things that they're supposed to be doing, and they just need somebody to come out and just you know give them a nudge and let them know of their responsibilities to landlords who've been waiting months and months for the tenant to pay because they can't get to an arbitrator for a decision and that's costing them. And so it's a big mix of uh, different types of situations that people are in. And so this new compliance unit has the ability to go and knock on the door and say, hey, you know, this is something that is your responsibility. Should we be doing this? And here's uh, more information, so more of an educational piece, but also an opportunity for people uh, in situations that, um, for example, a tenant gets moved out because uh, someone says, oh, their family is going to live in it, and then six months later they decide they're going to rent it to somebody else for much higher rent. Uh, And now it gives us the ability to have a team that goes out and actually checks to see if that was actually correct or not. And so it's it's uh, it's a real uh, breadth of uh, uh, things that this unit can do. And, and of course, it's expanding. It's doubling that size of that unit. And we'll see how that uh, plays out in the coming months. Yeah, that's, I think, a very common complaint, right, of the moving people out and then charging more rent. Is the Are the consequences for that enough, do you think? Well, uh, we're going to have to see. I mean, the first challenge we had was we didn't have enough people to go and uh, actually confirm uh, whether these things were uh, legit. I mean, I, I believe that it's happening. I've heard many stories, but now we have the staff to be able to go out and uh, actually knock on a door. Uh, and then we'll have to assess whether the fines are enough given the the amount that rents are being moved up. Right. Um, but as of now, a first step would, would be to validate uh, those uh, those concerns or those uh, issues, and then uh, we'll make that assessment at a later time. You mentioned that you have been in this job for three weeks now. Wow, grand total of three weeks. Um, has it surprised you, just kind of the size, the scope, the demands of this thing? Like, their housing just seems to be the biggest issue for us. Yeah, it's, it is so complex, and it's tied to so many things. And I've had uh, already the opportunity to talk to many experts, and I'll be talking to many more in the coming weeks, but uh, everything is connected. You know, we, we are uh, experiencing the strongest economy in the country. We've seen the highest amount of people and migrating to British Columbia. Uh, prices have gone up uh, significantly. Uh, vacancy rates are low. And so it's not one solution that can solve this. And if it was that simple, I think every government across the country would do it. In fact, North America, because I'm getting people, people are reaching out to me from California, from Portland, uh, from New York, where uh, this issue is also being debated and discussed. And so, you know, I think what's going to be important is the new housing strategy that we launch in the new year. It's going to be, have to be very encompassing and it's going to have to address multiple issues, not just uh, one quick solution that's going to solve the whole problem. Listen, thank you so much for your time this morning. Yeah, thank you for having me, you Stay safe. This is Mornings with Simi. Since we're approaching New Year's, it's that time when we look back at, you know, the year that was and think about some of the biggest things that happened to us. And of course, with 2022, you have to talk about the continuing impact of COVID-19. Things certainly changed in 2022, right? Lots of areas decided COVID was over, finished, done with. We certainly saw, you know, lots of restrictions lifted here, but that doesn't mean that it's already gone. doesn't mean we're still not dealing with the impacts. So what did we learn about COVID this year? Well, Joining us now is Dr. Brian Conway, Medical Director and Infectious Diseases Specialist at the Vancouver Infectious Disease Centre. Good morning, Dr. Conway. 
Good morning, Simi, and best wishes of the season to you and to all the listeners. And to you as well. Thank you so much for doing this. When you look back at 2022, Dr. Conway, do you think we learned a lot more about COVID this year? Well, I think we're all coming to the realization that COVID is not going to go away. It's going to be part of our lives, and we will be able to deal with it in a productive way. So we're through the pandemic phase. We're through, a year ago, we were talking about the Omicron outbreak. We're sort of through that and well into the endemic phase of COVID. So what do you think, Like, what did you really learn and find most interesting about it this year? That vaccines save lives. And I think that we've come to realize that for COVID, hopefully we're realizing that for the flu and new vaccines for other respiratory diseases will be around. So vaccines help. And we know how to prevent the transmission of respiratory diseases. We've learned that. Those, to me, are the two key learnings. Get vaccinated and stay home if you're sick. Okay. And so looking around the world, then, do you feel like did everybody learn this lesson? Because we're seeing a lot of different jurisdictions deal with it in different ways. Well, obviously, we're seeing China now really uh, doing a 180 on their policy from zero COVID to uh, sort of the approach that um, most of the rest of the world took over the previous year to year and a half. So that's going to lead to some outbreaks. And, and we're seeing that now. And hopefully the rest of the world will will be able to deal with China productively uh, as they travel. Have, have the, Again, we're going to have to have some testing. If people are going to be leaving China and coming uh, coming to the rest of the world, to North America. Uh, uh, but outside of that, I think much of the world has learned the lessons and those that haven't will. Hmm. Okay. And so with those that haven't, in what ways do you think it is just no restrictions, no testing, no nothing? Well, I think that... Uh, huh. What will be learned is that vaccination helps, that we need to deal with this as, as an endemic disease, something that's going to be with us forever. We aren't going to be able to eliminate it. And we have responsibilities to each other as individuals, as cities, as provinces, as countries. And I think that's really the learning that will evolve. And the countries that haven't done that uh, will need to do so. So the Chinese example over the next few months will be particularly instructive in that, uh, in that respect. Hmm. Okay. And I know that uh, lots of countries are just anxious to see those tourists coming back, aren't they? They absolutely are. But I think vaccination, we're telling people, without naming any countries, we're saying, well, if you want to go there, you know, their vaccination rate is a lot lower than it is here. So uh, maybe we should we should we should wait on that. So I think, uh, you know, we've done we've done pretty well in Canada, I would say. You know, we've not done perfect, but I think we've done we've done really well. We've learned the lessons. We're applying them in our daily lives, and and hopefully this will uh, this will serve us well through this respiratory virus season and and the next. But we need to work with others to pretty much do the same thing. That's the only way the world writ large will recover. What are our cases like now, Dr. Conway? What are we seeing? Well, we're not counting cases. We're counting hospitalizations. And as of uh, just before uh, the holiday break, there were still over 5,000 Canadians hospitalized, a little less in the intensive care units. And that has to do with uh, the high rate of vaccination prevents more severe disease. And you've gotten better at identifying COVID early and intervening in the community to limit hospitalizations and to limit the severity of illness if someone needs to be hospitalized. But COVID is still around and there's still... Uh, we're approaching 50,000 Canadian, uh, Canadians who have uh, succumbed to COVID 
uh, and uh, and there are uh, several deaths in uh, five to six deaths still per day from COVID in Canada. It's not gone away. Uh, it's still there. We need to respect it. Um, but uh, as long as we do that, I think we, we should we should do well. Is it still changing? Is it still turning into other variants? It probably will. I think right now uh, we, um, we sort of are, are still left with Omicron and its various descendants. There was some fear in early December that there would be a new BQ variant that would take over, and that does not yet seem to have been the case. But there will be new variants. There will be some changes in, in the virus. And, and uh, we will uh, hopefully be able to adapt next year's COVID vaccine, the one that we will all line up to get in the fall, I'm sure, uh, that will be adapted to the strains that will be around at that time. <laughs> I like the way you put that, because like, what, what have our rates been like? We know that there's been a big push on for people to get that booster shot, but, but are people doing it? Well, I think we've gotten a little bit lucky in that people who have gotten their first two shots at least and who then got a case of Omicron that was mild, that served as a booster in and of itself. That's not the same as saying that if someone is unvaccinated and gets Omicron that it will be mild disease and will protect them. It really is that combination of those first two shots with the natural infection that some feel occurred in about 75% of Canadians. That has helped us. The booster rate is not as high as we would like. The uptake in children is not as high as we would like. But we have enough immunity in our environment and enough good sense to stay away from people who are particularly sick to sort of help us get through this. But but let's try to keep on doing, we're doing good, let's do better. Hmm. Okay, so still a ways to go on that front. What about messaging? Are we still, do you think, hitting this hard enough? I would like to see us really um, talk more about vaccines and understand that vaccines have saved lives, going back to polio, some of the the first vaccine. There's some illnesses we don't even see in children anymore because we, we vaccinate for them. And COVID and influenza vaccines are really what, what the vaccines now that are going to serve us well in our day-to-day lives in respiratory virus season, to sort of have that dialogue on an ongoing basis and to keep coming back to this issue of if you're sick, stay home. If someone shows up to a holiday party sick, you know, greet them at the door and invite them to, to, to participate at a distance. But we don't want uh, to, to, to promote the spread of respiratory viruses. I think those are the messages I'd really like to see made a bit more strongly. All right. Well, Dr. Conway, thank you so much for your time on that. Always a pleasure. This is Mornings with Simi. We've been talking this morning about the money that is now going to be going to the residential tenancy branch. We heard from Housing Minister Ravi Kalon about new funding, about a 40% boost to that agency's annual operating budget that will allow the residential tenancy branch to hire as many 50 new full-time staff to try and clear a backlog of tenant landlord or you know disputes and just get things moving so how do renters feel about this well joining us now is robert patterson rental rights lawyer tenant resource and advisory center robert thank you for joining us thanks so much for having me what did you think about this announcement I think, you know, tenants and landlords, is, this is a point they can agree on, is that the branch has, I think, been chronically underfunded for, for a longer period of time, and I think even longer than the current backlog uh, has, you know, has gone on for. So sort of at the, at the end of COVID, a lot of cases, uh, or the end of the COVID uh, 
uh, legislative changes in 2020 um, led to, since then, there's been a ballooning number of cases at the branch. It's exposed, I think, that underfunding. And I think this is a, an excellent uh, injection of support to the branch. Um, hopefully, it'll mean that we have not only able to be more staffed to assist uh, and ha- conduct hearings, but it sounds like also there's a plan to, to, to bring in new measures to you know, manage that, that volume in the future, things like early intervention, um, making, seeing if things can be resolved without having to go to a hearing, um, and in general, having more support for people making those decisions so that they can take their time uh, and make better, well, well-reasoned decisions. What's it like right now to try to file a, a claim with the residential tenancy branch? Yeah, it's very challenging for for tenants uh, in terms of the wait times they have to have to accommodate. So a tenant who's say filing, let's say they moved out at the end of their tenancy and the landlord didn't uh, return their security deposit. So a pure monetary claim like that, the tenant can be waiting somewhere in the range of six, seven, eight months um, if they filed right around now, uh, on average, uh, if they're put at the back of the line. Um, for things like eviction hearings, those tend to be a bit quicker, but still, uh, in my experience, recent experience, towards the two, three, four month range. One of the challenges with that is that the branch's policy is that if an eviction hearing is held after the, uh, the notice to end tenancy would have taken effect, if the tenant's unsuccessful, they may have to move out in as little as 48 hours. Uh, and so that, I think, deters a lot of tenants from exercising their rights. So that's, that's a big problem. And finally, tenants who are trying to file about an urgent issue, let's say their heat has gone out over the winter, and they want to get an emergency hearing to deal with that. Emergency hearings are, are they're planned to be held within one or two weeks. They're being held generally within, you know, at little at minimum a month, sometimes more. And for something as urgent as heat in the winter, uh, that's just not a practical solution for tenants to access. So bringing the wait times down on all those the issues will, I think, result in a, in a better uh, delivery of justice. Uh, but at the same time, it's important to remember that I think the uh, almost as important is making sure that the people making these decisions have the time and the support to be able to make them uh, and make them well. Um, because one of the other problems we've seen uh, during this crunch, even more so than before, is decision makers and arbitrators having to, you know, in many cases, feel like they are rushing through decisions to try and manage this backlog. So having better capacity, better staff, more education for those people making those decisions, I think will be a, a massive benefit to tenants because what you really need ultimately in, is in this tribunal, as you need in a court, you want consistency. You want to know that if you're going to go in, uh, whatever issue you have, your the same law is going to be applied in the same way uh, by, by those right. arbitrators and those decision makers. What about enforcement? What is that like? It's one thing to get a decision, but can it be enforced? Absolutely, yeah. So oftentimes the, the burden is on tenants to enforce those decisions, and, and it can be made very challenging um, for them, depending on what kind of order it is, whether it's a, a repair order or a monetary order. So um, in, you know, there's a, a larger sort of systemic issue in terms of putting the burden on tenants to do that. You know, there are supports out there for tenants, like the Tenant Resource and Advisory Center and other advocacy organizations across the province. Um, but one really... Uh, addition, big part of this support for the branch is the additional support for the compliance and enforcement unit, um, which sort of does investigations and interventions uh, with parties who may not be following the law. So wh- one of the most successful things they've been able to do is be able to intervene in cases where landlords are either illegally locking out tenants or are about to do that. Um, compliance and enforcement has been fantastic at intervening in those cases and saying, you know, we have this the authority to, to give you a fine for any uh, 
for every day a contravention happens, uh, which really puts a lot of landlords on the back foot and makes them think, well, I probably shouldn't break the law in this case. It's also really important for them to be able to go after sort of systemic abusers of the system. And we've seen some really interesting and su- successful results from that so far. And given how small the department is, the fact that you know this additional funding is coming in and it sounds like they're going to double the size uh, of, of that team uh, is, I think, very good news. And hopefully it leads to a, a better, healthier and more policed uh, rental ecosystem. Yeah, when you say that, so are there repeat offenders here and does anything ever get done about that? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, because of the way sort of that our tenancy law works, everything sort of generally happens on a case-by-case basis. Some exceptions to that might be like, let's say there's a building where one issue is affecting all tenants. Every tenant could, in theory, make their own applications and, and join them to be heard together, sort of like a, a big group application. Um, but that, all, that all, oftentimes isn't sort of the the best way to deal with repeated systemic abuse. So for example, you know, one common thing uh, uh, that, that's sort of very hard to nail down is a landlord that will decide never to return security deposits, you know, putting the, la- the, the burden on each tenant to have to bring right. their own claim at the branch. You know, if the RCB has that data on that landlord, they might be able to see, well, look, this is someone who is, you know, consistently flaunting the law. We can take some steps to try and bring them into compliance. Um, and, you know, that's a more minor issue, but in more serious issues, things like refusing to do repairs, trying to find ways to circumvent the law. Um, they've been pretty successful in that. They've, they've issued some pretty interesting, interesting, well-reasoned administrative decisions. Um, and so I, it's great to see that there's going to be more support for them. Okay. So are you hopeful, like, I guess the sooner the better, right, to get this up and running, but they still have to go through the process of hiring people for this. Yes, absolutely. It's not going to be an overnight change. It's going to take time to to hire, to train, um, and and to build out a lot of systems. I think internally to help manage manage the the different systems they want to have, like things like early intervention and, and different approaches to settlement. Um, so it won't be overnight, uh, but it's the kind of thing where uh, you know they've been so the branch has been so parched for so long. The fact that you know this 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 uh, refreshing drink of the support is coming in, um, regardless of how long it takes, it's good news. Um, we'll just have to sort of, sort of wait and see how long it takes effect. It takes to sort of come into effect. And I think that the two things that sort of we'll be looking for as a tenant organization is number one, how are the wait times looking? How long will it take before tenants can can go in and have their urgent issue addressed within a reasonable period of time? But number two, you know, how are the decisions being made? Are the decisions coming out? Are they increasing in sort of consistency and quality in well in how well they're reasoned? So uh, that's what we're keeping an eye on. And, and I'm think I'm cautiously optimistic that mm-hmm. uh, this is something that will will be really beneficial for tenants. Well, it's nice to hear, actually, Robert. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. This is mornings with Simi. 